All right, at this time, if anyone else is leaving, you can make your way out as quickly and quietly as you can. I don't think anyone else is. So for the rest of you that are stuck with me, I couldn't help but to think of something while Brian was sharing his story about Blaine and the difficulties of parenting. I must have I was just thinking about how proud I must have made my parents feel. <laughs> oh, boy. Something we would just not talk about. Anyway, uh, for the rest of you, let's open our Bible, if you will, to the first letter of Peter. First Peter. Um, if you are turning, you will notice there is a first and then a second. We are in the first, and we're going to be reading this this entire letter over the next few weeks as we look at the words written by not just an apostle, not just someone that is a hero of the faith, not just somebody that we long to be like, you know, if we could just be like Peter and bold and courageous, uh, but an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. I mean, this is a man that didn't just see miracles performed by Jesus in his earthly ministry. This is a man that sprinted to the tomb, if you remember, as he and John were racing and, and, and they got to the tomb and he saw the tomb was empty and they would soon see the resurrected Christ. And this man was encouraged and instructed by Jesus over the next 40 days post-resurrection as he was about to ascend into heaven and where he is still today interceding for you and I. And we can praise God for that because I don't know about you, but there are days where I need him to intercede on my behalf. There are days where I fall short and I thank him for his immeasurable riches of his mercy and his grace. And I thank him for him interceding for me and still covering me with his blood. So as we get ready to read this first chapter of 1 Peter, let me just take you back about a year ago. It was on April 24th, 2022 that uh, Mikhail and I and her parents, Tanae and them, we were all down in Tennessee and we were getting ready to go watch the Hatfield and McCoy dinner family feud. All right, if you've never gone, don't waste your money. All right, um, good food, but uh, you know, the show is subpar. It's funny, it's comical. Uh, just don't take your, your kids, all right? Uh, we didn't know what we were getting into. But anyway, that morning we went, we bought the tickets, and it wasn't cheap. And then we went to a place known as Severe Air which happened to be a trampoline park. And we go into the trampoline park. Many of you know what happened after that. You know, and I was there and whenever you walk in, in order to get socks to jump on the trampoline, you have to watch this instructional video on how to jump on the trampolines. I grew up jumping on trampolines. I didn't know no, I didn't need no punk kid telling me how to jump on a trampoline, right? I, I knew exactly what to do. I grew up with one. I knew what to do. We didn't even have nets on our trampolines growing up. All right, uh, we were fearful. So I told Michaelis, I'm not watching this. I'm good. So I went on my way. Well, we all know the rest of the story. About an hour into my stay there, I jumped from one trampoline to the next and in, in, got a lot more air than I was expecting. I didn't know how bouncy these things were. Um, and I landed in the springs and I fractured my ankle. I didn't know the severity of the injury yet. Well, Michaelis like, you got to go to the hospital. I was like, no, I just spent like 200 something bucks to go watch this dinner family feud. We're going to watch this. I'll suffer. And, and I suffered all day, you know, and, and I, we, we had a two hour pass to this air park, this trampoline park. So for the first hour, I'm having fun. And then right in the middle of it, I fracture my ankle and I'm just hanging out on the couches in between the thing. And I asked one of the workers, I said, please tell me I'm not the only one that has done this. Like, please tell me. And he said, no, a lady broke her leg and it was like falling out of her skin last week. And uh, so no, you're, you're, you're minor. I was like, okay, thank God. 
So for the next hour, I had to just sit there and, and suffer, and we went and watched the show, and it was so painful. I had to hobble my way into the store or into the restaurant family feud dinner, and I told Michaela, I said, you need to go to the souvenir shop. You need to go buy some Tylenol or something. So she went and she looked. They didn't have anything. One of the uh, employee, employees there that happened to be one of the actresses in the show heard of Michaela looking for ibuprofen or something, comes up to me, says, hey, I think I might have something. She runs backstage. She brings me two white pills. I have no idea what they are. I say, I don't care. At this point, just get them to me. Uh, so I'm Googling real quick. What are these numbers on this pill? And it was Tylenol. So then I watched the show. I took the pills, and then I went to the ER that night. And I remember, you know, kind of hobbling my way in. I'm in, you know, Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg area of Tennessee, never been here. There's a security officer there playing on his phone and somebody working or sleeping. I don't know what they were doing. Uh, it was like 1130 at night and I'm waiting in the waiting room. And finally they go, they take me to the, admis the admission office and I get all my paperwork signed. They take my insurance card. I go back to the waiting room. And then finally they call me back like an hour later to a room where a doctor tells me. But I couldn't help but to think like there was about an hour and a half of my time where I just sat in waiting. Just anticipating, anticipating, thinking about what is going to come next. Like, what is the severity of the injury? What is my future going to look like? I mean, is it going to hinder me from now on? And yes, throughout the winter, there were times where it was super cold. My ankle was super sore. I used to think like, oh, those people are crazy. There's no way. No, no, no. There was times where I had to like roll it out and work it out just because of the, I guess, all of the buildup or the arthritis that's already started at 31 in my ankle. And I just remember seeing sitting in the waiting room thinking to myself, what is to come? I don't know how good it's going to be. I don't know how bad it's going to be. I don't know how limited I'm going to be from now on. And here we read a letter written by Peter who is, who is written to people who are literally just waiting, anticipating what is to come and longing to see the Lord, but then also kind of afraid of tomorrow. And, and they aren't sure if this is going to be good. Is our future going to be painful? Is this going to be a good day or is next week going to be good? So let's go to First Peter as we uh, look at this particular chapter. And we read about Peter writing to people who were literally just waiting they were in the middle of where they used to be, and God called them, and God saved them, and then they were just in the middle of this where you and I are today, and we'll get to it here in just a moment. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So whenever I read that particular passage in that phrase, may grace and peace be multiplied to you, I couldn't help but to think that is what I need in my life. That is what you need in your life. There are days where you just need the grace of God and the peace of God to be multiplied in your life because of it being painful, unpredictable, or sometimes even dreadful. He goes on to write, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Anybody looking forward to that? 
It's being kept right now. It's being guarded, as he goes on to write, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in a praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when, the predicted, when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct." Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things but, but such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ." Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, for all, flat, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So Peter is writing to a group of people that were exiles, but called God's elect. So, so it's kind of strange, okay? Because who here thinks that if you are suffering in life, you must have done something wrong? I mean, we all probably feel that way. Sometimes we must have done something wrong. And there are times where our sin directly impacts our life. We talked about a life group this past week as we're reading through the book of Job, that there are times if I lie to someone, it can fracture a relationship. And that that sin can directly impact my suffering in a relationship. If I am horrible to my own body and I injure myself, then my own foolishness or my own uh, negligence can, re can be the, re you know, the sin or the deed that directly impacts the suffering physically that I endure. 
If I choose to live in sinfulness, that will directly impact my spiritual health and my being, and it will separate me from God. So there are times that our suffering is directly impacted by our deeds, by our choices. But Peter is writing to a group of people who are suffering because of the sake of Jesus Christ. He's writing to these people who were called God's elect, but they lived as exiles. They were driven away from their homes. They're being martyred for their faith. They are being ripped away from their families. People are being, being killed, martyred for the name of Jesus. And he is writing to them that they can rejoice. So, so it's kind of strange how joyce and suffering or joyce and joy and mourning can actually coexist in our lives. It's kind of similar to what James said. He said, count it all joy, what? When life is good, right? Oh, no, maybe that was the new, new Age era uh, translation. No, count it all joy when you face various trials. Whenever you've actually endured suffering or when life is painful, you can actually still have an inexpressible joy that is filled with glory. Why? Because it is not of your own, it is from the Lord. So, so there are times, like Brian alluded to this morning, there's times as a father or as a husband where Things don't always go my way. Things don't always go perfect. And there are moments in my life where I suffer a little bit, but it's even in that suffering that I can be joyful. Why? Because one, I'm God's child. So it may not be good right now. And Jesus even promised in this life, you will have what? Trials, tribulations. But you can take heart. I've already overcome all of it. So it's painful it may be painful for you right now, or there may be days that you wake up in the next few weeks, months, or even years, and you don't know how you're going to navigate this new season. You don't know how you're going to endure the suffering or the, or the pain that you feel, but just know that you can rejoice in all things because God has called you his child. If you are a born-again believer of him, of, a follower of Christ, you can rejoice even if you suffer. And, and you can be smiling even when you are broken. So they always say joy comes in the morning, right? But I don't mean just morning as in tomorrow morning. I mean M-O-U-R-N-I-G-I-N-G. Like we can actually be joyful in our mourning, in our sorrow, in our pain, because we know it is only for a little while. <clears throat> so Peter is writing to people that were called God's elect, but lived as exiles. They were called God's children, but they were strangers and inconveniences to other worldly people. They were waiting this inheritance in heaven that was being guarded for them, and they were being guarded to receive it. And, and they were anticipating this. They don't know what it's going to look like. They don't really know how it's going to go. And they're anticipating this inheritance, yet as they live on the earth, they suffer, and they endure suffering in numerous ways. They are told they, are, they have been born again to a living hope, but they don't even feel like they're alive, some of these people. And I couldn't help but to think how many of, that, how many of those people share a lot of, in common with us. That we are encouraged today. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy for me to get up here after we celebrate Easter last week and tell you, hey, you've been born again to a living hope. And we've just kind of ride this spiritual, emotional high. But guess what? Three months from now, you may be down in the pits wondering, why has God forsaken me? Let me just encourage you to do as Peter told them, to rejoice in it. To rejoice in this waiting time. Because as I waited in the emergency room, as you wait in this time period between where you used to be in your own ignorance and sinfulness, and God has redeemed you and called you his child and forgiven you, now 
long and anticipate to see what it's going to look like. How is it going to go? But, but we have to wait because I cannot wait to see him face to face. But I know there is a great possibility. I might have another 75 years here. Well, no, 65, 55. I don't know. I'm 30. I'm just kidding. I might have another 50 years on this earth. That's a long time. Amen, some of y'all. That's a long time. I might have 50 more years of every day maybe riding the roller coaster of the ups and downs. I may have 50 more years of disappointments, not in my own self, but of my kids or my, my grandkids may disappoint me. Other people may let me down. Like I have to still navigate all of this as I long to see this inheritance being guarded for me and being made for me. So what do we do while we wait? How do we walk this new, t- new time of our life as we're just literally waiting to see him face to face? And here's the thing. If you are not here today, or if you're here today and you are not a follower of Christ, then I pray and I plead with the Lord to draw you to himself before it is too late. That you would stop waiting to truly follow him. But if you are a born again believer of Christ, follower of Christ, we have to wait. I long to see him. I long to walk the streets of gold. I long to sing songs of praise to his face, not just to the, to the ceiling here or to, to a cross representing it. I, I mean, I long to see that, but I still have to wait. So what do we do as we're kind of caught in this middle ground? And in, in verse 8 and 9, Peter writes about these people who were obtain, getting ready to obtain the outcome of their faith, meaning they hadn't yet received the true fullness of that glory yet. They may have been saved and God would bless them and they would have an abundance of life that was inexpressible and a joy that was filled with glory. But they didn't quite see it yet. And that's kind of where we are today. Because if you are here, you and I must feel like exiles in this world. If you turn on the news or if you scroll through social media or if you read policies being passed in state houses and even nationally, if you do not feel like an outcast or an exile in this world, there may be a grave fear that you are still living in the world. If you're still living in the world, God's going to judge you and condemn you to eternal separation in a place we know as hell. But if you feel like an exile, like, man, it just gets crazier and crazier every day. I mean, it just gets more and more wild and bizarre every day. If that is where we are, if we feel like exiles, and we can rejoice because we are still his elect, but we do have to endure a little bit. So there's two things I want to briefly mention that you and I must do in order to truly walk while waiting. Walk with the Lord while waiting. To, to spend this middle ground, this, from the time we were saved until the time that we passed, how do we navigate this? First and foremost, in your own conduct, in your own lives, you are to be holy. Holy. You are to live holy. Peter writes, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And he goes on to write, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. This doesn't mean that I just walk around in fear of or afraid of what's around the corner. This means I walk around in genuine, humble adoration of the reverence of my God, of the goodness of my God. So you and I are called to live as holy people. So what do you do during these years that you're just waiting to see him face to face? You remain holy. 
You live holy in all of your conduct and you live and walk faithfully for the Lord. And you live in humble adoration of who he is and what he's done. So as you and I navigate this world and as we read all of the evil and all of the brokenness, the question is, why should I be commanded and compelled to be holy when the whole world has gone crazy? Because you were bought with a price. You were paid for. You were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. That should compel you to live holy. If you need someone to walk alongside of you week after week after week and to just encourage you to live holy, then you need to reevaluate the genuineness of your faith. Because if you have truly humbled yourself before him and bowed before the King of Kings and been forgiven of your sin and the eternal wages of it, you would be compelled to live holy for him. Now, does that mean that I'm just going to get caught up in legalism or trying to perform better? No, no, no. But I will be sure to live as holy as I can because Peter actually warns them about going back to their old ignorance. Do not return to your old ignorance. What does that mean? That, re- that means it is a shame if you and I can live holy for a few weeks and praise the Lord. And then we just return back to, we resort back to our old habits, back to our old addictions, back to our old lust, back to our old habits, back to our old lifestyles. But if you have truly been set free from the bondage of sin, you should walk like it. You should live like it. If the blood of Jesus Christ was paid for you, you should live in such a way. I was bought by the precious blood of Christ. Therefore, I am now free. It would be foolish and ignorant for us to go back into the things that he came to set us free from. And then a few weeks later, we'll be living holy and we'll, we'll repent and we'll come back to the Lord. And then after that, we resort back. No, no, no. Peter is telling you to remain holy and I am encouraging you and pleading with you to live holy. What does that mean? That means to be set apart from sin, to be set apart from the world. People ought to see the evidence and the fruit that we bear, the lives that we live, the conduct that we present to others that you and I are set apart from them. So we live holy and we grow in holiness And we rejoice because as I live in my own holiness, the world may see it in me and it may shed light on the name of Jesus. And those people may see the light that you share, the love that you express, and they may be compelled to be drawn to the light. It's almost like, you know, I don't know about you, but anytime it's the spring, summer or fall, if you ever go outside here, any of your lights at home and you go and there's like how many, like 5,000 bugs just kind of all flying towards the light. That's kind of how I think about all the sinful, evil people. Not that I'm calling them the nasty bugs, but they're living like it sometimes. But maybe they will be compelled and drawn to the light. But if you and I do not live holy and we just kind of fit in with them and we just act like they do, we just talk like they do, we think like they do, they will never see a light that is set apart. Therefore, they may never be drawn to it. So it's our responsibility to live as holy people, shedding light to some people, shedding the light of the world to them so that they could, like those little bitty bugs, just fly to it and they might find the light themselves. Secondly, what do we do while we wait? We love one another. We love one another. Peter said that you should be holy, for he is holy. And he says that you should love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again.
So he says to be holy, and then he says to love one another. So the way that we love people is to share the light of Christ that we have to them. The way that we love people is to use every opportunity that we have to bless them and to meet their need, to fill their stomachs, to clothe their backs. We use every opportunity we can to to meet their needs and to bless them. And we love earnestly with a sense of urgency like the eternal destination of these people are at stake because it is. The people in your life, the people that you interact with, and the people around you in your community, in your workplace, their eternal destination is at stake. Maybe by the grace of God, he could use you in such a way that by your holiness, by your life being set apart, and by your conduct, they may be drawn a little bit. And by the way that you love them, and that you sacrifice for them, and that you bless them, and that you pursue them and desire for them to also receive this eternal love of Christ, may they be drawn to him. See, the world is filled with anger and frustration and evil and brokenness and darkness. So if you and I are to truly be holy as he is holy, then we are to be set apart. Therefore, we must love one another. Do you remember what Jesus said about his disciples? How are they going to know you are my disciple? Do you remember what he said? By the way that you what? Love one another. By the way that you sacrifice for one another. By the way that you use every opportunity to bless one another. By the way that you pursue and desire and seek one another. By the way that you you give and by the light that you shed to one another. So here we are today on this random April 16th Sunday morning at almost 1130 or so in the morning. And for some of us, we may have 15 more years. Some of us, we may have 75 more years. So my two encouragements and pleads with you today, in order to truly find yourself rejoicing in your own sufferings, to rejoice as you navigate this waiting room time, as we long to see this inheritance, as we cannot wait to receive it. I can't wait to stand before him. I can't wait for him to to welcome me home and to see his scarred hands and his scarred feet. And I just long to see it. But guess what? It may not happen right now. It may not happen for another 50 years. For some of you kids and little ones and younger people than I, it may not happen for another 60 or 70 years. Or who knows, he might split the skies wide open next week and bring us all home. The reality is that we will see it. We just don't know when. So we must walk while we're waiting. We cannot be stagnant and just wait for him to come. We still have a responsibility to be his people. And we cannot just sit and and on the sidelines and just kind of enjoy as we don't even participate in life. And we just walk all these people. We just watch all of these men and women just struggle in their own sinfulness. And we just watch them walk in their own ignorance. And we know what is right and we know what they need. It, It would be foolish on us and ignorant to just sit on the sidelines as we wait to see him face to face, because that's what we're waiting for. Like, that's what I'm waiting for. But I'm also longing to see all of the people that oppose him bow before him. I long to see not just my Savior face to face, but I long to see my girls worship his holy name. 
I don't just long to see the scarred hands for my sin. I want to see those loved ones of mine that do not know him start to rejoice and praise his holy name because they long to see those scarred hands too. So how do we do it? We remain holy and we live set apart from them. We live set apart from this world as exiles. We may not be in slavery, but we truly are exiles according to the definitions of godliness and worldliness. We are set apart and we love one another. We cannot contribute to the hate or the evil of this world. We must be wholly set apart and bring something new that the world lacks, which is the love of God through Jesus Christ, our King. Let's pray.